Well, hello, how are we? Doing good? Man, it is good to be back. Uh, you will have to forgive me, though. I've been in multiple continents on multiple airplanes and breathing that good old airplane air that's recirculated from 400 of my closest friends. Uh, and so I am a little bit stuffy this morning, but that's all right. I'm still going to preach. And so if you've got a Bible, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, that is the fifth book in your Bible. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And this book of Deuteronomy, we actually talked about this way back uh, when we were talking about it's just a phase in parenting. This book is called the second law. That's literally what the name Deuteronomy means. Deutero means second, nomos means law. You put those together, it's second law. And it doesn't mean that there is a second law. It just means that Moses was saying it a second time. Because if there's anything that we all know to be true, it is that we need to be told things multiple times, right? Isn't that true? I, I don't know about you, but I hear things. Uh, well, for me, I don't even hear things uh, a lot of times because I have a hearing problem, specifically when my wife asks me to do something. Uh, I don't normally hear that one. Uh, it's her, her voice falls right in that frequency range that I just can't hear, and, and it is documented, and so she can't argue with me. Um, but we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to look at the whole chapter, all right? And so I'm going to read kind of big sections of it as we go through it, but I think it's important for us as we've been teaching through this series called Multiply to understand that the commands of God not only are given to us for our good, but specifically we're in this Thanksgiving season, we need to be thankful. We need to remember and bless the Lord for what he's doing and what he wants to continue to do in our lives. And so as always, before we jump in to the text, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you not only gave us life, but God, you came and redeemed us from death. And so God, I pray that we would approach your word today as an authority in our life. Uh, I pray, God, that you would help us to see it, not in a negative, not in something that we just have to do, but I pray that you would help us to see it in a way that you give to us because you want the best for us. And so God, I pray that you would help us to receive it because we know without your Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to see the truth in it, God, opening our ears to hear it, God, then, then it would just roll right past us. And so, God, as we take this moment for the next few minutes, I pray that you would meet with us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, again, we're going to look at all this chapter, verses 1 through 20, and this is a, a pivotal time, in case you didn't know, but it's been mentioned several times. We took a group from our church, and with Victory 91.5, one of our ministry partners, we took a group of about 90 people a couple weeks ago to Israel. It was my very first time, and it was incredible, and, and you're going to hear some of the things that I learned, not just in today's message, because honestly, it's going to take me years, I think, to unpack it, but it was an amazing, and amazing time, and, and, and it's one of these, these verses, these chapter, this chapter I'm going to read, now it brings a whole new level of meaning to me that I've been there and have seen the promise and the devastation of this chapter. Uh, this chapter means more and it makes more sense to me now, and I'm going to hopefully relate that to you because this book of Deuteronomy was written by Moses before they went into the promised land. 
before they went into what is present, uh, present day Israel, before they crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, Moses, because he didn't go in with them, he was up on the mountain, he saw it, he wrote this book to remind them, because they'd already been in the wilderness for 40 years, he'd already told them the law once, and they didn't listen, and so he writes it again to remind them before they go in. And so I think this chapter is so important, not only because it helps us understand what happened in the historical state of Israel, but it is such an important thing for us to understand as well, because anytime we're facing moments of transition in our own lives, especially right, right now in the life of our church as we're launching, or we've already launched another campus and we're building a building for that, it's so important for us to understand what Moses tells us in this chapter. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'm gonna read verse one first, and then I'm gonna kind of set the stage for the whole thing. Deuteronomy 8.1 says this, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and what? Multiply. Multiply. It's almost like that word's all over the Bible. I don't, I don't know. It's almost like that would make a great vision for a church. Somebody should do that, all right? That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Now, this verse right here is so important for a myriad of reasons. And again, the rest of the chapter is really going to unpack the meaning of this verse. But there's a couple things I want you to see. Again, one, Moses is writing to this to them before they go into the land. Now, when we were there in Israel, and just get used to that phrase, by the way, I'm going to say that phrase probably a thousand times, it's gonna make you sick, to the point to when we do another trip, you're gonna to wanna to go, and you should go, all right? But this phrase, the land, I heard no less than a 100 times. Uh, we had two different Israeli guides, two Jewish guides, believers, and it was an amazing thing. I mean, we're on buses, kind of going all around, they're showing us everywhere. Spent a lot of time in the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did the majority of his ministry, and then ended up in Jerusalem, where obviously Jesus went to be crucified. And I heard this phrase, the land, the land, the land, the land, over and over and over again. And the reason why is because to a Jewish person, it, again, it's hard for us to fathom this, but for a Jewish person, they haven't been in the land since 78, from 70 AD until 1948. From 70 AD, when Romans, the Romans came in, destroyed the temple, kicked them out, they had been wandering for almost 1900 years. And so for them to come back to the land is such a phenomenal thing that that's what they focus on so much, the land, the land, the land, the land. I mean, it's hard for us to fathom. I mean, America is just a little over 200 years old. So, so just think about this. For almost 1,900 years, not being in your homeland, not being in the place that God gave you as a promise to your forefathers. And, and as I heard this phrase, the land, the land, the land, the land, over and over again, something, I would say, kind of came to my attention. I think the Lord brought it to me that as we're riding in the bus and seeing all these places, a part of this land, our Jew, and I'm sitting right up front, and our Jewish guide who was leading us, I, I leaned up and, and was having a conversation with him because he would be talking a lot and telling us a lot of stuff, and they would just kind of inspire questions. And so I kind of lean up and ask him a question. And I asked him this question. 
He said, you know, you talk a lot about the land and how important it is and how biblically significant from a prophecy standpoint, the Israel is back. And so they talked a lot about that. I said, but do, does Israel, do Jewish people equate the fact that they weren't in the land as a direct result to their disobedience? Like, do they equate that? Do they, do they put two and two together to see and understand that the entire reason that they got kicked out of the land was God was judging them for their sin? He said, no. He said, and this guy's a believer. He's Jewish who now believes in Yeshua, which is how you say Jesus in Hebrew, means savior. And so he believes, and he said, it's so sad now because we have fought so hard to be back and everybody doesn't understand, typically, unless they are a believer, from a Jewish perspective, the reason why they were kicked out is because of their own disobedience. And the reason why that's so significant is this. When they went into the promised land, they took for granted what the real battle was. They took for granted that the real battle wasn't over the land. It was over their loyalty. The real battle wasn't over the land. It was over their lives. In fact, that's my first point. If you want to write it down, it's my only point. I'm going to unpack it as we go through it. The biggest battle is not about the land, but about our lives. The biggest battle is not about the land. It's about our lives. See, when God, when God through Moses commanded them, he says, listen, you're about to go in. And you need to take care to do everything that I commanded you because I want you to live and multiply. Now, this is so important because, again, God gets such a bad rap. I mean, God gets blamed for so much stuff that's our fault. And therefore, God's will gets twisted. But I want you to understand this word here when it says in verse 1, that you may live and multiply, that is a conjunction. It's a purpose word. Why was God commanding them to do what he said? Was it because he's a mean God? Was it because he's just this big man upstairs who's looking whom he may strike down? See, here's what's crazy. I think a lot of us put on to God what the Bible says about Satan. The Bible says about Satan that he only comes to still kill and destroy. He's seeking whom he may devour. And a lot of us approach God like that. But I want you to understand what God's will is for your life, for my life, and therefore the life of the church. It's twofold, to live and multiply. Another way I could say this, it's almost like it's the same God who wrote these books, is when God first commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. God's been saying the same thing over and over and over again. Listen. God's will is for you to live. And God's will is for you to multiply that life into others. This word here, live, it doesn't just mean live as in like have breath and be alive. It means to live well, to flourish, to prosper. See, when the nation of Israel was going into the land, God says, listen, I want you to go in and I want you to live well, live long and prosper, right? Did you know that's a Jewish saying? It is the idea of, I want you to live well. I want you to prosper. I want you to flourish. And I want you to multiply. 
That is God's will. It has been his, I mean, think about it like this. Why else would God create human beings if that wasn't his will? You think God created human beings so he could just strike them down? No, God hates that. It grieves God. God's will is for us to live, to flourish, and to multiply. And you see that as he's giving this command. But here's the problem. The nation of Israel, just like us, got into the land and missed the biggest battle. The battle was never over the things out here. It was always over the things in here. How do I know that? Keep reading. Look at verse two. And you shall remember the whole way, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a big section here. You shall remember the whole way that, your Lord, that the Lord your God has uh, led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Now listen to this. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You may recognize that. That's the verse that Jesus quotes when he's tempted. In Matthew chapter four, if you don't want to know if the book of Deuteronomy is important, three times Jesus quotes back to the devil scriptures, and all three come from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. I would highly recommend you read it. This is what Jesus had in his mind that kept him from sinning. But it's exactly what Israel did not have in their mind, and therefore it didn't keep them from sinning. But God is saying, listen, I'm bringing you into this, and the whole way I brought you into this was to test you. Now, you need to understand, when the Bible says to know what's in your heart, God doesn't do things for him to know what's in your heart. He already knows. God does things for you to know what's in your heart. See, this is what's crazy. Have you ever been in a circumstance where something will happen and you'll act in a way that even surprises yourself? Like, like you'll fly off the handle and get angry or some, at somebody or, or, or just words will come out of your mouth or anger will come out of your heart. You ever acted in a way and you're like, I didn't know that was in there. I have. I, I did on the way back driving yesterday, right? I mean, traffic was good until I got to Atlanta. Then I wanted to stab people. See, God intentionally puts us in testing circumstances, not for him to know what's in our heart, but for us to know what's in our heart. Here's what I want you to understand. Your heart is far more deceitful than you ever thought. Jeremiah says so. I believe it's Jeremiah 17. Your heart, your mind, the things you dwell on are far worse than you ever thought. And see, God was testing Israel to show them, listen, I'm about to give you a great land. And it is a great land. You're going to see in just a few verses how God describes it. And I've seen it. But he says to them, listen, I didn't give you this first. I made you wait 40 years so that you could see what's in your heart. Because if when I give you this good gift, you would ruin it. You know how many times God waits to give us good things because we're not ready for it? 
So often we're like, God, would you do this? And God's like, I would love to do that, but I gotta do something in you because if I gave it to you, you would ruin it. That's what he was doing with them. And if you know the story, they ruined it. And I'm not talking bad about them. You need to understand, I love the Jewish people. It broke my heart for them that they had all this that the Lord had given them. And then it was the very thing that turned their hearts against him. He goes on, look at this. Where did I stop in verse three? Let's look at verse four. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Listen, I didn't walk in the wilderness for 40 years. I walked for seven days and my feet were swollen, yo. Like straight swollen. So I can't imagine 40 years. He says, your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brook. See that word land a lot? A land of, now listen to it, of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. We saw all those. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Amen. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. I don't know about you, but that's a land I want to live in. A land with plentiful natural resources that God, again, I want you to see the, the will of God. The will of God was to take his people into a good land, to bless them, to give them a life that's well-lived and flourishing and prosperous so that they may multiply. But here's what happened. Here's the command again, verse 10. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, if there is any verse that we should read after Thanksgiving, it's probably that one. Look at the first part. You shall eat and be full. Anybody obey that command this week? Yeah, I did. To God be the glory. The great things he has done, like the turkey and the potatoes and the bread. Amen to Jesus. You shall eat and be full. Got that command. But it's the second one. This is why I said we should read it after Thanksgiving. It's the second one that they didn't do, and it's the second one that we don't do. He says, and you shall bless the Lord your God. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. See, God is a giver. God's a giver, man. Probably the most popular verse, John 3, 16. First, God so loved the world that he what? Gave. gave. If you don't know that one, you're doing this wrong, all right? He gave. See, it is not out of God's nature to give. You wanna know why it was so easy for God to give Jesus? Because that's all he had done. He had given and given and given and given and given. But all they had done was taken and taken and taken and taken and not blessed. See, what a great verse for us to read after Thanksgiving. Because so often, after we have eaten and after we are full, we forget to bless. We forget. This word here, bless, means to 
means to extol praise upon. We might say it being thankful or thanksgiving. You want to know what thanksgiving is? Reverse the two words. Giving what? Thanks. That's what thanksgiving is. It's when you stop and you don't just eat, but you stop and you eat and you give thanks. You bless the name of the Lord who gave you all of that. And this is where our hearts, again, are so desperately wicked that we forget to give thanks because we aren't grateful for what God has given to us. Here's what I want you to see. You know, we've been talking about giving and we've got our give day coming up in two weeks, December 15th. It's an important day in the life of our church. And the reason why it's an important day for, in the life of our church is because we're facing another transition point. If you were here back when, when we just had one location here in Canton, we didn't have two, we were meeting at the Cherokee County Conference Center, uh, a lot of my messages back then before we moved into this location here in Canton, I talked about us crossing over the Jordan. It was like 575 was the Jordan River, all right? And we were going from that side to this side. We're going from that side of it to this side of it, and, and we wanted to kind of recognize, hey, we're in a transition point. And God's gonna, God has given us this land and we wanna use this land. We wanna bless God because of what he's given us. Now we're in another transition point. We're not just moving you know, west to east, but now we're moving south to north into Jasper. And God has given us new land. He gave us a new location in Jasper. We're building a building there. But it's another transition point for us in the life of our church. It's another inflection point for us in the life of our church. And it's an important time before we step into that as a church, and it doesn't just benefit our Jasper location, it benefits our entire church, because it is, I, it is us living out the command to live, be fruitful, and multiply. But it's important for us to understand before that happens, we have to understand that the only reason why that has happened is because God has been gracious to us. The only reason why that has happened is because God has given it to us. And God has given it to us to be a blessing. The entire reason why we wanted to build a church in Jasper, we wanted to multiply north, is so that we could seek the welfare of that city. So we could be a blessing to that city. Because we have been blessed and we've been blessing Cherokee County, we wanted to bless Pickens County. That is the command that God has given us. But it's important for us to understand because if we don't understand it now when we don't have it, we won't understand it when we do have it. That the only reason why we have it is because God has been gracious to us and we want to bless him for being grateful, for being generous. We are grateful for him being generous to us. And this applies to your life as well. Let me say it to you like this. You want all God's generosity to you to go away, quit being grateful for what he's already been generous with. Let me say it to you again. If you want God to bless you more, and, and I told you at the beginning of the series, that's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing for God to bless you. Bless you is something more than we should say just when somebody sneezes. It is not wrong to pray for God to bless us, make us fruitful. That's not wrong. 
But you want to know a surefire way to make sure, surefire way to make sure, I said that twice. I don't know if I did it on purpose. You decide. You want to know how his blessings will dry up? Quit being grateful for what he's already blessed you with. Just look forward to what you don't have yet. Just keep looking forward. Well, God, I don't have this. God, I don't have that. God, I've been praying you and I, I, I don't have a husband. I've been following you and I don't have a kid. I've been following you and I don't have a job. The moment ungratefulness leaves your heart, the moment God's generosity goes with it. You need to understand how gratefulness and generosity go together. God loves to be generous. He loves it. It's who he is. It's his nature. But he wants us to understand that his generosity to us is a gift. It is not something we earned. How do I know that? Keep reading. Look at verse 11. Take care lest you forget. How many times have you done a bad thing and you could have said, I forgot? I forgot. Yeah, you want to know, you didn't just forget the law, you forgot the Lord. And the entire, listen, and this is so true for my life. The entire reason why we sin is because we believe the promise that sin tells us over the promise that our Savior tells us. That's why you sin. You sin because you believed a better promise. So you thought. And the reason why we sin is because we forget how God already came through on his other promises. Look, look at what he says. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten, here's the temptation, and when you are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks, oh, here's an important word. What is that? Multiply. And your silver and your gold is what? Multiplied. And all that you have is what? Multiplied. Then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is all one sentence, by the way. Verse 15. When I write run-on sentences, I'm just trying to be biblical. Verse 15. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock, comma, not a period, still the same sentence. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you. Now listen to this next phrase. To do you good in the end. See, we interpret suffering as God's absence. We interpret testing as God's like punishment. It's not. It is discipline, he already told us. But any parent knows this. It is discipline for our good. Why? Read on. Look at verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Notice the words. My <clears throat> gotten. My, my hands. 
my strength, my mind have gotten me this wealth. You know, that's the exact opposite of his and given. Everything that you have comes from his hand and he gave it. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, comes from the Lord. Anything bad you've gotten, that came from your hand. Anything good you've gotten, that came from his. Notice the subtle shift. And, and listen, this is, this is God telling them before they got it, before they received it. He's like, don't forget, take care, beware, look out, focus on, remember, I gave you this because I promised your forefather Abraham I would give it to him. And you're gonna be so tempted when you get in. Once you've eaten, your belly is full. Yes, I can't stick it out far. That doesn't mean I'm fat. That just means I'm stretchy. All right. <laughs> you're getting in and you got good houses and your flock is multiplied. Your silver and gold is multiplied. All that you have is multiplied. You're going to be so tempted to look around and be like, look at my kingdom. Do you realize we haven't changed in thousands of years? See, it is so easy for us to look at Israel and be like, why did they do that? And it is so hard to look at yourself and ask, why do I do that? The story of Israel is our story. It's our story. Because the battle's not about the land. It's about your life. It's the same battle. And God wants to do you good. God wants to bless you. He wants you to live well and prosper. He wants to multiply you. But here's the problem. The problem is the moment he starts doing that, you and I are so tempted to take credit for it. He goes on, look at this. Where am I? Verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he, now don't mention these words, for it is he who, hmm, for it is he who gives, gives. He gives you power to get wealth. Listen to me. There is nothing that you have gotten that he didn't first give you. Nothing. Everything that you have gotten, it's because he has given. Remember two weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about stewardship. And how we're not owners, we're just simply managers. It ain't ours, it's his. And he gives it to us. And he gives it to us, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Listen, church, you wanna know why we're talking about being fruitful and multiplying as a church? Because if we don't live out the command to multiply, God will quit blessing. If we don't live out the commandment to multiply more disciples, to multiply more churches, that's the last thing Jesus told us. If we don't live that out, God will quit blessing us because he blesses us to be a blessing. That's what he told Abraham. That's what he tells us. And so as a church, as a pastor, it is my job to make sure that we as a people, as we're going into another transition point, that I speak up and I say, listen, remember, 
take care. Don't forget. Because you're going to be so tempted to take credit for what God has done. And how do you know? How do you know that you are doing the exact same thing that they do? You want to know how you know? First, you quit being grateful for God's generosity to you. And listen, once ungratefulness leaves in your heart, you want to know the next thing that leaves? Your generosity. Let me say it to you like this. You want to know how you're grateful? You're generous. You're generous. Generosity is directly tied to gratefulness. It is. So if you and I aren't generous, we're just simply showing we're not grateful for God's generosity because we now fail to understand it was given to us. We think like, they, well, it's ours. I got it. My hands got this. And God's like, who gave you your hands? Who gave you that? And he goes on, look at this. We're almost done. Uh, I don't think I finished that slide. Let's go back to 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And here's the, here's the, here's the bad part. Only two verses. And if you forget the Lord your God, and you go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, listen to this, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, what's interesting to me is Moses is writing this again before they go in, and it's, and it's almost as if he already knows what's in their heart. Because he says, do not say into your heart, it was my power, it was my wealth. So I'm gonna close this out like this. What are you saying in your heart? Like right now, what are you saying to yourself? in your heart. Is there a spirit of gratefulness in you? Is there a spirit of thankfulness in you? Where you can look back and you can see that it was God who brought you out. And maybe you weren't in physical slavery like the nation of Israel was. Maybe you were. Maybe you were in the slavery of sin in your own home, suffering the abuse that other people have done to you. But there's one thing I do know, because Jesus relates it like this. He says, he who sins is a slave to sin. See, all of us, all of us were slaves to sin. And when you look back on that and you see who you used to be, does gratefulness bubble up in your heart where you think, God, you're like, God, if you hadn't have come through, if you hadn't have shown up, 
If you hadn't have let that person to call me, if you hadn't have let that thing happen in my life, if you hadn't let that thing fall apart in my life, I would have never bowed the knee and looked up to you. Is your salvation story one about your glory or his? See, people who say, I don't know what God saved me from, they misunderstand the fact that God saved you from sin. And not all of us have that story where we were doing crack and you know all that kind of stuff. Again, that's what we always say. Like it's only the, the crack dealers who have a good story. Well, listen, God could have saved you from self-righteousness. And you wanna know the worst sin of all? Self-righteousness, thinking that you are righteous in yourself. God saved you from judgmentalism. God saved you from addiction. God saved you from a life that was in ruins and he brought you out. But why did he bring you out? So he could take you in. So we miss, the gospel is only half preached. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins, he rose. And why did he rise? So he told us that you could have life and have it more what? abundantly. See, if we're not careful, we start looking at where we are in the journey and we just look ahead at what we don't have. And that's a trick by Satan to make you look ahead at what you don't have yet. And see God and say this, God's holding out on you. See that over there? He hasn't given it to you yet. So don't trust him. Don't wait for him to give it to you. Take it. And it's right in that moment where you take it, where we show that we think we have what we have because we took it. Listen, church. He brought you out to take you in. And what he's taking you into is good. And he wants to multiply you. He wants to prosper you. He wants you to live well. But we're right in this moment where if we can't look back and we're not thankful for all that he's done, then we will actually mess up the promise. You say, why hasn't he given it to me yet? You want to know why he hasn't given it to you yet? It's like my kids in timeout. You ever put your kids in timeout before? I have, and I got to confess, I get a sick fascination out of it. (laughs) But you know how I know when my kids are ready to be out of timeout? When they quit asking to be out of timeout. That's when I know. Because I know that they understand why they were there. They're quit, they can see past this present and light affliction that Paul talks about in Romans 8. This light and momentary affliction of putting their nose in a corner. They can see past that. And they can think, oh, I am here. Because I disobeyed the Lord. I disobeyed by not obeying my parents. What would happen to you if your kid, when you said, hey, you can get out of time out now. If they said back to you, 
No, I want to stay here for a few more minutes. Because it really bothers me that I sinned against you. It really bothers me that I didn't obey you because you're my mom. You're my dad. Everything I have is from you. What would you do if that happened? I know what you would do. You would faint. And somebody would be calling 911. Like, what's wrong with her? She passed out because her kids said that they hadn't been punished enough. See, that's a heart change. So let me ask you again. What are you saying in your heart? What are you saying? Are you saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. See, that's what they didn't say. And because they didn't say it, they lost the land. But the reason why they lost the land is because they lost their life long before they lost the land. And the same thing will happen to you and I if we're not careful. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that the story of Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's our fiction. I pray that it would land on our hearts in the power of your spirit and help me to know, help us to know that you have blessed us so much. God, it is so easy for us in this season to move from thankfulness on a Thursday to selfishness on a Friday. to receiving on a Thursday, to trying to get on a Friday. But God, would you remind us today that everything we have is from your hand? There's nothing that we have that you didn't give. And you gave it because you're good. But God, I pray today that we wouldn't lose the battle of our lives because we were so focused on the promised land that we miss the Lord. You are God, and you are good, and you love to give, and we bless you for that. But God, I know there are some people here today that haven't been brought out of slavery to sin. And so we ask you right now that you'd bring them out. You'd set them free. You'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, if there's never been a point in time in your life where you can admit that you're a slave to sin. You've tried everything. You can't free yourself. If you can admit that today, this can be the best day of your life because you can be set free because Christ set you free. Freedom's waiting. You just have to receive it. And you can receive it today by praying with me. Not out loud, but if you want to trust Christ, it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I give you my life. 
and I ask you to give me life. Save me. Set me free from sin. Regenerate me. Recreate me. Make me a new person. And forgive me of my sin. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that with me, very simply, would you just lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. But then those of us who have been set free, if you're anything like me, you still act like a slave sometimes. But I wanna encourage you today, the way out is through gratitude, blessing the Lord. See, your warfare is one of worship. Your battle is over your heart. And you worshiped your way into sin, so do I. And so you worship your way out of sin. And the way you worship your way out is you worship God over the fact that he set you free from sin. You remember the Lord. And I pray out of that gratefulness, generosity flows. Father, would you make your word come to pass? Thank you for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.